You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Okay, let's read this seraph to Genesis 32 here. We're going to use Lectio Divina. We're going to read it slowly. We're going to try to hold it. And typically there's four different movements in Lectio. But because we're a group, we're going to do one, and then we're going to do another one and talk and prayerfully discuss it, and then we'll do a final one, and that'll be the end. So we're only going to do three movements this time. Does that work, y'all? Okay, so someone read it prayerfully first. Jordan has a mic. Um, So if you want to read, raise your hand. Otherwise, Jordan will read it, I'm sure. The same night, he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, "'Let me go, for the day is breaking.' But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face. Yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Thank you, Megan. Hold that with you for a moment. Maybe you're familiar with this passage and maybe you're not, but what's coming to you as you hear it? This is a time for us to prayerfully talk about it. In other words, you'll be sharing, but we won't be responding directly to you. And then there'll be a chance for talk back, which is more talking back and forth later. But... Just as you read it, maybe it's familiar, like I said, maybe it's not. What, what comes to you? What do you want to say back? What do you want to say? What's God putting on your heart? Anything seem interesting or noteworthy? Different this time or new? I mean, I just think like the emotional tenor of this passage is really wild. Like the only thing I can think about it is like when you accidentally run a red light and you realize what you did and you have this weird mixture of like relief but terror. I like... You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I'm not point looking at you because you do that. <laughs> just, no, yeah, so it's like, I don't know. Like, I'm more likely to just stop at a green light for too long. You know, <laughs> that's my energy. But yeah, it's like that. I don't know. It's like, I kind of, I kind of wonder, like, did he think he was wrestling with a person? And he was like, I'm, I'm like the man. I can like beat up anybody. And then it's like, oh, no, actually you were wrestling with God and you won. That's like a weird feeling. To, it's like, what does that mean for you now? Like, I don't know. It leaves you in a very weird just a weird place. Um, I'm just, this is Hannah, for those on Zoom. Um, I'm just noting that wrestling with God has left him with a limp that he now carries forward. Any more? Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Hmm. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
Why is there suffering in the world at all? In a world full of despair, where is the God of love and mercy and justice that we all worship? It's hard to keep faith when we don't have answers to those questions. When we witness despair around us all the time. Bad things happen. People get sick. People need surgery. People get cancer. Things don't go as planned. We suffer loss, heartbreak, death. We struggle. We yearn. We try to express ourselves. We don't get loved. There's pain that we experience. And as we become more in touch with our suffering, we witness the suffering of others in unique ways, too. Like this week, I was marveling at the... uh, It was National Coming Out Day this week, so queer people are coming out, and they're celebrating that. I think maybe some came out for the first time, but others of us just shared again. Like, we're here. And I was marveling at the faith of queer folks as an explicit demonstration of the gospel. Because if you can hold on to your faith despite coming out in a hostile and bigoted Christian environment, that's pretty impressive. Jesus must mean a lot to you. And for those LGBTQIA people, those queer people that have lost faith because of the bigotry that they've faced at the hands of Christians, Not only do I think that they will be given grace, but I think that those who are responsible for their loss of faith will have judgment awaiting them, you know? And I was feeling incensed about this this week on National Coming Out Day because it's traumatizing, it's isolating, it's difficult to come out. I've experienced this, friends of mine have. You know, and I said, you know, in a public forum where people can comment, Um, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble using Matthew's words or you could use Luke's words who says if you cause anyone to stumble then it's better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and you thrown into the sea of Galilee than the judgment that awaits you that's what Jesus says to people who cause other people to lose faith faith is fragile it's hard to hold on to we have it despite the adversity that we face. And that, that really means all of us. I'm not just talking about queer people. It's hard to hold on to your faith because of the apparent suffering around us and the confusion of the world. You know? It could be anything. It could be the, the potential for nuclear war. It could be that people keep dying of COVID. It could be that, you know, heart disease remains the number one killer in the United States. It could be any number of things. But if you cause someone to lose faith despite their adversity, I said, well, the judgment of Jesus awaits you. And I posted this and a bunch of Christians replied to me with the same bigotry that I had named as an obstacle for faith to queer people. Like, hey... Like, I, I, and I was surprised. I was kind of astonished at this idea that like, hey, great job, queer people, for coming out and you're facing a lot of bigotry. And then all these people posted, oh, no, you're wrong about this. And I was like, hey, we were celebrating this and then you kind of did the thing that 
you know, could cause someone to lose faith. So I, I was astonished at the, at the pride and disappointed, but personally unfettered. You know, I thought to myself, no, Jesus is on my side, and Jesus loves queer people. I'm not going to be deterred by this. I'm, you know, I'm old, and I feel secure in my faith. And, you know, I have decades of faith behind me. I have education, scholarship, things that are going for me that make me feel good about where I stand with God. Experience, know-how, you know. So I'm in an advantage position. That doesn't mean I'm not hurt by it. It's just not, you're not going to take Jesus from me. So I came a little under, I, I wasn't deterred. But, you know, I thought, what about the queer folks who aren't, who really can't handle this, who are hurt by it? And you say, well, to hell with this. I don't want to do this. It's ridiculous to be in an environment where I just have to, I have to keep, my, my dignity is a, is a subject of debate, you know. And then when people take a stand to be on my side, they're named as divisive or whatever. You know, what about those who step away from faith? Or worse, or worse, and this is a real thing, just succumb entirely. Step away from their life, which happens, especially with teenagers. And I was angry with God about that. Why are you doing this? Why is this allowed? Why is it okay? Where are you? What's up? Like, there's so much suffering and pain and misery here. Why aren't you doing something? Our expression of faith can lead to such horrible and dark and terrible places. And I feel like I, I want to wrestle with God about that. You know, let's, have, let's wrestle a little bit. This passage is the most commented on passage in the Old Testament. I think that's, you can say that. There's so much to say about it. It's obscure, it's strange, like Jordan was saying. So I was delighted when it was the first reading in the lectionary this week. Although I don't think in 12 years I've ever commented on it. That's the benefit of using the revised common lectionary because the passages just come and then you're assigned. And as we interact with the Old Testament, I love this. It's it's really helpful because we see this personified, anthropomorphized God. Anthropomorphized means made like a human, made like a... Um, an anthropon, I guess that's Greek, right, for human. Um, and I think that that can help us relate to God, right? The Jewish people are writing the scripture and they're creating a God with a personality that acts kind of like a human, wrestling people, pulling their sockets out, you know, things like that. And Christians appreciate this, of course, because we, we hold that Jesus of Nazareth is God incarnate. And that God with us is a chance for us to relate and know God personally. And for the Jewish people, the same is true in that God particularly selected them and then they relate to God in such a way in personified and personal ways, made into a person, you know. They had an intimate relationship with God as a result. They could tell this story, it means something, and they express it personally. And we see this, God is a, a, acting as if a, a human with Jacob actually getting into a physical altercation. He's on his way, Jacob, to visit his estranged brother Esau. They had a dispute. They're not on good speaking terms right now. 
the twin brothers, they will undergo a temporary reconciliation in the next chapter. But on his way, he sends his whole family across the river and he stays alone overnight. And then this mysterious man shows up. We don't know who this man is. And they wrestle through the whole night. And there's a draw between the two men. The mystery man puts Jacob's hip out of socket and then says, let's be done. And he says, let's be done because it's daybreak. And so this has like spiritual ambiguity in it. You know, what is this deity? What is this, new, this spirit? Can I know, like, you know, there's, there, you can see that there's various traditions being pulled from here, even in the story. Like, yeah, I thought, like, yeah, you can't see daylight? Like, what kind of spirit is this? Where, like, daylight comes and then you have to hide away. Like, or maybe you can't be seen altogether. There's something unusual happening here. And so probably, just as a side comment, this is probably an old story that maybe, that, that has, conclu- has, in the account of Genesis, has, is conclusively about Yahweh, or the God of Israel, but in past iterations, it may have been a different God or spirit. They're bringing it to their context and using it for themselves, and we can do the same now. The man tells Jacob to let him go. Then Jacob kind of, he's, hey, I won the wrestling match. You're telling me to let go. I won't let you go until you bless me. And so he names him Israel. He asks him his name. He doesn't say it back. But he gets named Israel because he struggled against God. He struggled against human and he has prevailed. And then Jacob says, well, what's your name? But this man never indulges. And then Jacob receives his blessing and then knows he's seen God. The story is about Jacob wrestling with God and God mysteriously appears and wrestles Jacob. Jacob's not an ordinary man wrestling with the one true God and they end up in this unusual situation. On his way to reconcile with his brother, Jacob challenged God, challenges Jacob, Jacob challenges God, humbles him and names him. And the story is... Unusual and old, and it gives us this maybe familiar interaction. In our time and place, wrestling with God, I mean, they're, they're talking about this very personified moment, humanized moment. But in our time and place, wrestling with God just seems uh, like an impossibility altogether. Like actually gripping God in a wrestling match and getting your hip pulled out. Like that's, to me, doesn't really compute. let alone you wrestle with God and then you come out in a tie. But maybe when we see this, we can come to some understanding about what it means to relate to God. Maybe it's okay on one hand to wrestle with God, with the unknown, with the, and be confused. That you can go to God toe-to-toe in anger and in sadness and in doubt and in disappointment, and God can handle it, of course, and God will be your match, too. God won't be overwhelmed. God can help us. Like a parent wrestling his kid. To begin to, some of you have kids, and sometimes they'll, they'll, they will uh, get into a physical, they'll, they'll play fight with you. But you know you can take them. Most of us, anyway. I mean, I don't know. Julie's kids are big, so I don't know if that's the situation. He would say, yeah, I can still take them. <coughs> You know, but you can. You feel like you. I have. I have more power than you. But what are we doing here? What's happening? Like, what's this situation like? 
What do you need to get out? You know? You have a lot of feelings in you. What do you want to do? 20 cartwheels? What's happening? So maybe God is allowing this to happen. Get mad. Say an imprecatory prayer. Cry out to God. Get your feelings out. On the other hand, Jacob's bold enough to ask God for a blessing and to ask direct questions. So we're given space to wonder and wander and debate. And you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't even need to know what's happening in this story or what it means or if it's really God at all wrestling with Jacob. I think getting to a place where we can wrestle and question God is, if that's on the table, to get that on the table, we need to get in touch with our most intimate feelings. Our most painful feelings, we need to see where we've been hurt, what seems impossible, and ask God about that. So I despair far before I get to a place where I'm mad with God. Like there isn't even a chance for a wrestling match because I'll just lose faith before the wrestling match starts. Like I don't, there's no, there's not even time for an argument. That's be, and part of that's because I'm a product of like this time and place and I have a lot of different philosophies to choose from. Whereas if you're a, if you're a Jew in Israel, it's a little bit less, it's not a buffet of options and philosophies and religions and ideas. But having a connection with God so strong that I can argue with God feels like a better place to be than losing my faith. Accessing our full sorrow and anger is necessary for us to go deeper with God. Ultimately, this will result in an unlikely reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. And his ability to see God in this mysterious man teaches us something about how accessing our sadness and our doubts and our insecurity might actually result in us seeing God more clearly. Jacob sees God in this frustrating moment and then in later frustrating moments can see God more clearly. In the next chapter, chapter 33, he sees Esau and he says, If I find favor with you, then accept my present from my hand. For truly to see your face is like seeing the face of God since you have received me with such favor. Jacob can see God in Esau because he's wrestled with God in the chapter before. Jacob learns to see the face of God. So when we access what doesn't make sense, when we access our pain and our doubt, what frustrates us, maybe we can learn to see God in new ways. And maybe through wrestling, we can discover how God is a God who comforts those very little ones that might lose their faith otherwise. Maybe we can ask and wrestle with God and come to a draw. Maybe we can develop theologies and churches and communities where the most, for the most vulnerable that I started with. Maybe we can make a whole new way of doing things. Maybe one where their enemies will, that threatened them in a previous life, will cower in fear. What happens, though, if you're not so doubting? confused what if you feel certain comfortable with your faith comfortable with your power your position what if you don't have doubts or wonders or questions I positioned this to imagine Jacob having those and then wrestling with those with God to get them out 
But what if you feel certain about where God is and what God is doing? Maybe you don't feel like you need to wrestle him. I know a lot of people that feel very secure in their faith about God. I argued with a bunch of them this week. I think it's very likely that Jacob didn't feel like he needed help at all. Jacob was a proud man who even asked God to bless him. He felt like he had the upper hand in the fight. He felt like he won the fight, that he could make such a huge request and force a blessing out of this person. Maybe that's why God broke him, put his hip out of socket, and blessed him nevertheless. Sometimes God needs to humble us so we aren't so prideful and so sure and so certain that we can just overcome anything. As queer folks and other marginalized folks struggle with their faith, I can't help but wonder if the powerful do. What happens if you feel like you're not in a vulnerable position? Do you doubt? Do you wonder? What if you're writing the narrative? It seems to me like so many folks in charge keep some semblance of faith no matter what adversity they're going through. But I think to relate to the oppressed, God might need to twist your hip bone to humble you. Sometimes we call that a narcissistic injury. Your ego gets blown. You have a significant failure in your life. A setback happens to your otherwise perfect life. And they say for certain people, leaders especially, we can't really learn how to be ourselves and move into our fullness unless we go through a significant failure or a series of them. Our failures are painful, but they help us feel human. They help us relate to one another. And when, when, if you haven't felt oppression in a keen way, crave the opportunity to fail and to suffer so that our suffering and common pain can help us relate to one another. So whether you wrestle with God because you can't bear the injustice in you and around you, or whether God wrestles with you in order that you might learn to note and notice the the injustice around you, may our mutual experience of pain bond us to one another and to God in new ways. May the oppressed see God liberating them, and may those that oppress see God humbling them. And may it lead to reconciliation like it did with Jacob and Esau. Let's say a prayer and then do some talk back, shall we? Lord, show us where you are. Show us that it's okay to wrestle with you, to conflict with you. And if we feel like we don't have to, may you take us down so that we feel the pain that we need to feel and the suffering that we need to feel. May we be able to overcome our pain because you are with us and overcome the injustice around us because you are with us. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.